So by a quick show of hands, how many people like to learn new things or new skills? Is there anybody like, okay, there's a few of you, cool, that's good. I always find that when you're learning something new, it's always helpful to learn uh, from somebody else, whether it's something that you read or something that you watch. Like, um, I had a couple of appliances that kind of just went like sideways on me um, a few months ago, and so I went to that great resource called YouTube uh, to try to discover how to fix them. And uh, honestly, YouTube can be a little bit of hit and miss when it comes to that. Um, but I, I never seem to go wrong when I find somebody that has like proven history or proven experience when it comes to something I want to learn, like a skill I want to learn. Um, somebody who has been there and done that. Uh, a few months ago, my friend John DeVinney invited me to, uh, to do something I've always wanted to do, and that was to uh, fish in the ocean. And uh, so uh, he and uh, a few friends, we went out um, on the ocean, and I got to learn from John, because John is a master when it comes to all things fishing, and I learned so much on that trip, and uh, because John has been there, and he's done that. And, and, I, I, and, and recently, um, and this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to listen to somebody who has been there and done that when it comes to the main thing that Jesus calls us to do. You see, when we put our faith in Jesus, he doesn't just save us, but he also entrusts us with his mission. He, right after his resurrection, Jesus got together with a group of his followers, and on a mountainside, he basically told them this, and you find this in Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. He says this, Go therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. His mission isn't just for a select few. It's not just for pastors or clergy. And it wasn't even just for that group of people, that small group of people that he was talking to when he shared that. It's a mission that he gives to everyone who says they want to follow him. Did you catch what the mission is? The mission is to make disciples. Make disciples. As a church, it's not simply to gather an ever-increasing number of people in a building for 60 minutes a week. That's a method, but that's not the mission. And as individuals, it's not only to take care of your own personal relationship with God through Jesus, and that's it. That's foundational, but that's not the mission. And as individuals, it's not simply to be involved in occasionally or regularly various church activities so you can check a box or, or feel good about yourself and then go and spend the rest of your time just focused on yourself. That's just self-serving. Making disciples in its core, like in its simplest terms, is this really brief sentence that Paul uses to describe what it is in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. He says this, follow my example as I follow Christ. And, and expanding this a little bit, what Paul is saying here is, it's about introducing to people to Jesus. It's inviting them into a relationship with him. Then investing in an intentional, ongoing relationship with them 
for the purpose of helping them know Jesus more and follow him with their lives. And this is both equally taught and caught. Like you can't just like give a bunch of knowledge to somebody. It's something that they need to see lived out in your life. And also, as part of that process, you're encouraging that person or those that you are following along in this discipling relationship to be doing that at the same time with somebody else. It's disciples who make disciples. Honestly, I think that making disciples is the biggest challenge the big C church faces today. And honestly, we've done a pretty bad job of it. And we're not exempt from that when I say that. The, the past two years have really exposed this. We have, we have reaped what we have sown, or more accurately, we've reap, we're reaping what we have never sown or not sown well. And, and for a long time, many churches have built themselves around a Sunday morning worship experience, engaging environments, great music, and charismatic preaching, and when that couldn't happen over these last two years as it had before, people disengaged. Because what we had drawn them to, because that was what we had drawn them to. Hear me clearly on this, what I'm saying this morning. I, I am not opposed to a meaningful worship experience, but when that becomes the end rather than the means We've gone off mission. Making disciples is what we have seen happen throughout this whole journey that we've been on this year through the book of Acts. It's been the heartbeat and the DNA of what happens everywhere these followers of Jesus go. Think about it for a moment. When they're sharing about Jesus, there was no Bible. I mean, there were the Old Testament scriptures that they had in the, in the synagogues, but there was no New Testament. That wouldn't have happened for another 250 years. There, there, was no, there were no buildings. There was no big dynamic worship service. All they did is they continued to get together. They continued to talk about who Jesus was and what he did and what it meant to follow him and just live that out in their everyday lives. And they did that over and over and over again with anyone who would listen and with anyone who would join them. If there was anyone to learn from when it comes to making disciples, apart from Jesus himself, it's, I believe it's Paul and what we see Paul doing through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this morning, we're going to listen into a conversation that Paul has with a group of church leaders that I really will hope this morning will stir our, stir our hearts and move us toward the mission of Jesus this morning. But we've got to get Paul to this group first. So we're going to spend a little time in Acts chapter 20 this morning. If you are new with us, we have these Acts journals. You, there's still a few uh, around in the seats in front of you down below. You're welcome to have one of these. It's just the book of Acts that you can follow along with, take some notes in. We're going to be on one page, page 116 this morning. So here we go. Acts 20 verse 1. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. So the uproar it's referring to is what we saw last week in Acts chapter 19. I'm not going to unpack that right now, so you can go back in Acts chapter 19 and see what happened. And after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria... 
he decided to return to Macedonia. Sopater the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Sagundus and, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But when we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, which is the Passover, and in five days we came to them at Troas where we stayed for seven days. And what's happening here, what we see Paul doing is basically he's taking kind of a tour of all of the different places, all of the different churches that he has started in his previous missionary journeys. And we see that, that the, the main purpose that we see here was to encourage these churches, but there's a secondary purpose that we read about in a couple of the letters that he will later, later, later write. One in 1 Corinthians and then also in Galatians. He refers to the fact that the reason that he had done this was also to collect an offering. And this wasn't an offering for himself to support himself. This was an offering for the poor who lived in Jerusalem. And, and this list of, of, of people that are with him, it's easy just to kind of like float by that. But what's so interesting about this list is the, the, the diversity of people that are represented here, both economically and, and culturally diverse people. Like that's what the gospel does. It just brings, like it breaks down all of these barriers that existed. And, and the other thing that's interesting to note is the change in pronoun that happens here. Because... At the end of this, we see it go from they to we and us. And so now, the guy who wrote this book, Luke, Dr. Luke, has joined them again. He'd been there within Philippi for six years, and now he comes back in and joins Paul on the rest of this journey. Verse 7, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered to break bread, that's a reference to what we just celebrated here this morning, the communion Paul talked with them, this group here at, this group of disciples here at Troas, intending to depart the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered, and a young man, man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And, and being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Falls out the window and dies. But, but Paul went down and bent over him and taking him up his arms said, Do not be afraid for his life is still in him. Paul, through the holy power of the Holy Spirit, heals him, brings him back to life. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak. And so departed and they took the youth away alive and they were not a little comforted. They were very happy. So, so while he's in Troas, like this is going to be Paul's last time with this group of believers, the group of Jesus followers in Troas, and he wants to share with them like one last time. And it's funny how Luke records this because he uses words like prolonged, and he just kept talking. Like Luke is like, come on, man. And, and, and it gets to the point where uh, Eutychus, who's probably somewhere between 7 and 14 years old, is sitting in a window, probably trying to get some air because of the smoke from the lamps that are in the window, falls asleep, falls out the window, and dies. And then Paul brings him back to life. Man, I'm so glad that we don't meet on the third floor. 
The, the Holy Spirit brings him back to life, and they, then they celebrate communion, and what does Paul do? He just continues to talk until morning. He just can't get enough of sharing about Jesus. Verse 13, but going ahead to the ship, we set, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. So get this, I, this is one of those easy ones to pass up. So Paul has just spent the entire night up talking about Jesus with this group of Jesus followers, like all night. And rather than get on a boat to go to this next destination, Paul said, no, I got it, I'm just going to walk. And he walks the 20 miles to this next place. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and he went to Medellin. And sailing from there, we came to the following day opposite Chios. The next day, we, we touched at Samos. And the day after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. What's interesting about this, other than the fact that it's bouncing all over the places that are, with places that are really, really hard to pronounce, Paul, Paul doesn't go to Ephesus because he's afraid it's going to take too long. He loves those people too much just to spend just a few days with them. And, and so rather than doing that because he's trying to get Jerusalem by Pentecost, which is 50 days after the Passover, he decides that he's going to do something different. And so he calls for the church leaders in Ephesus to come to him, which is about a 20-mile walk. And now we get the chance to listen to Paul talk about talk with these leaders but before I read this I want to clarify something up front about making disciples what we will see from Paul what we what Paul will share are some general principles of, of disciple making but it's not a formula and it's not a program when it comes to disciple making there is no formula no one-size-fits-all, or even like one-size-fits-most. It's difficult and challenging because you're navigating relationships, and each person learns differently, and each person leads differently. And on top of that, you add preferences and personalities and schedules into the mix, and so there's no exact science to this. It takes a blend of the work of the Holy Spirit working through you and the person that is being discipled to bring it all together. But there are some general principles. And I think that what we're going to see is Paul lay some of these out by his own example of how he's lived his life. So verse 18. And when they, these are the elders, came to Paul, to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews and how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and the Gentiles of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The, the first principle that we see here that Paul shares about what disciple-making is attitude 
matters. Attitude matters. Our posture towards somebody else matters. And, and we see three different things that he lists here as far as these attitudes or postures he had toward others. He, he mentioned the fact that he has, there was humility and there were tears and it was through trials. Really, humility is this idea of putting somebody else ahead of yourself. Putting somebody else first. And, and, and in a disciple relationship, I mean, I, I just think about Paul for a second. I mean, all of the things that Paul could have leaned on when it came to his relationship with others. I mean, here this guy is basically kind of a known world traveler. And he, like last week we saw that even like pieces of cloth that touched his skin, if they would go out, they would heal other people. I mean, there's a lot of things that Paul could have clung, clung to that really could have like puffed himself up. But, but Paul didn't do that. And in a discipling relationship, there's no place for pride. There's no way that you can enter into a relationship or should you enter into a discipling relationship with someone where you feel superior or you feel more than. In fact, really, it's quite the opposite. Disciple, effective discipleship relationship is about admitting your faults, of realizing your mistakes and being able to share those mistakes with whoever it is you're sharing with so that they're able to learn from your experience in that. There's also no place in a discipling relationship for assumptions. Like you just can't assume like certain things that instead you need to listen. You need to have a posture of just listening to where somebody is coming from. He also talks about tears and and tears is, is not, not, not so much an issue of just like raw, pure emotion. I mean, tears that he's referring to is the passionate investment that he had in what he was doing. Like he was passionate about this. For him and for us, when it comes to disciple making, it's so much more than a task or a responsibility. It's, it's born out of a genuine love for others. It's why we do it. And then he talks about through trials. And while we certainly do not face the kind of trials like plots against our lives and the persecution that he faced, in any kind of relationship, relationships by in and of themselves are messy and they're challenging because they involve people. But discipleship is the same way. A discipling relationship can be messy. There are going to be free seasons of frustration. There's going to be seasons of growth and seasons of setback. And it also requires sacrifice. It's going to take two of the things that are probably the most important to us, to many of us today. It's going to take time and it's going to take energy. Verse 22. And now behold... I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, not precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And here's the second principle that we see, that we learn from Paul in disciple making, it's that priority matters. Priority matters. Did you catch what Paul said here? He uses this kind of this accounting, this accounting language and this accounting term. What Paul has done is he puts his life 
his, what he desires, what he wants, what he needs, what his plans are, even his life itself on the scale, and he weighs it against the mission of making disciples, and it's not even close. It's not even close. E- even to the point that he knows what lies ahead from him. He talks about imprisonment and afflictions, and I'm sure at this point the Holy Spirit has revealed to him the fact that part of this affliction is that he is going to pay with his own life because of his belief in Jesus and his telling others about him. His priority, even above his own life, is making disciples of Jesus. It matters that much. The only way that this happens, the only way discipleship happens with somebody else, making somebody else follow, helping somebody else follow Jesus, is it's got to be a priority. It won't just happen by chance. It's not something that you just kind of like can fit into your packed schedule. It has to be planted and it has to be prioritized. And I don't know about you, I feel pretty busy all the time. In fact, oftentimes when people ask me how I'm doing, my response often is I'm busy. Like that, that's not how I feel, right? I mean, that's just what I am, right? It's busy. But if I were honest and I like really did an assessment of my like my time, I waste a lot of time. I, I, I do, I waste a lot of time. And the problem is not necessarily the time, it's the priority of time. The urgent in life will always crowd out the important unless we prioritize the important. Verse 25, And now behold, I know that none of you among who I have gone out have gone about proclaiming the kingdom, will see my face again. And basically Paul's saying, this is it. I'm not going to see you again. Therefore, I testify to you this day, I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And this is the third principle of disciple making. Content matters. Content matters. This phrase, the whole counsel of God, isn't, doesn't mean everything that you need to know about God. Like, that's not what Paul is saying here. What Paul is saying, that he has given them the entire picture of what God has done through Jesus. That that God himself became flesh in the person of Jesus, and he lived among us. Why he came, he came to show us how to live, and to teach us how to live, and ultimately to give his life for us. And what he did for us is when he died, he paid the price for our sin on a cross, and then he rose from the dead three days later. And what this has done for us is it's given this opportunity for this reconciled relationship with God. This is the good news. This is the gospel. This is the whole counsel of God, and it's not just the beginning of our relationship or the starting point of a relationship with God. It's it's everything. This, This good news, this gospel is everything. And because of who Jesus is and what he has done, we get to live in the freedom that comes from following him and becoming more like him through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Like he continues to make us more like Jesus. And we need to be students of the gospel. And not just students as, as in the fact that we just continue to study it, but we have to be inspired by it. We have to be shaped by it. That's what the gospel does is it begins to shape who we are by its message. And it's what we disciple people in really matters. 
It has to be in the gospel and nothing else because you can't make the gospel what you want it to be. And you can't take the gospel and add whatever you want to it. When you do that, it's not the gospel anymore. It's become a false version of what the gospel is, which leads us to the next thing he warns about. Verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know after my departure, fierce wolves will come among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears, which is the fourth principle of disciple-making we see from Paul, and that is preparation matters. Paul, Paul shares why knowing the gospel and keeping the message of the gospel central is so crucial. There will be and there are people who will try to deceive Jesus followers. They will come from both outside and from within the church, and Knowing the gospel, the truth of the gospel matters because if you know what the truth is, you can instantly begin to spot the counterfeit version of it, what's not true. This doesn't mean that you have to know everything that's contained in the Bible. You just need to know the essentials of who Jesus is and what he has done for us and what this reconciled relationship with God and what it means to follow him and any teaching, any teaching that you listen to, anything that you read needs to be filtered through that lens. Even things that are spoken from this stage, you need to filter through the message of the gospel. And ask yourself this question, is it consistent? Is it consistent with the word of God? Like is this being, what's being taught, what I'm reading, what I'm listening to, is it consistent with God's word? Is it consistent with the character of God? And is it consistent with the message of the gospel? You see, to make disciples, you have to be one yourself. You will always be a disciple on this side of eternity. You never arrive. None of us ever arrive. We are constantly and continuing learning. Verse 32. And now I commend to you, now I commend you to God, and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. In other words, everyone who's becoming more like Jesus. I, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that with these, hands, with these hands minister to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is the final principle that we see Paul share about disciple making, and it's this. Motive matters. Your motive matters. Paul, Paul's reminding them that they, he didn't take anything from them. In fact, he wasn't there to get anything from them. He was there to give to them. 
to share with them the most important thing. Everything that he did, he did it for them. Why we disciple others, our motive for doing so matters. It, it can't be to scratch an ego. It can't be to notch some notches in your belt or, or to try to earn something from God, like get in God's good column, like get an extra jewel in your crown. I don't even know what that means. Our, our motive has to be love, love for the other person. Our motive has to be that we want whoever we're sharing with, whoever we're discipling, to experience the same thing that we've experienced in our relationship with Jesus. Our motive is to share the best thing that has ever happened in our life with some, someone else. And, and this has to be done with kind of an open-handed approach. You know, knowing that it's the Holy Spirit, you're not in control of this. You don't own this. It's the Holy Spirit working through you in that relationship that makes this happen. And, and while this can be extremely rewarding, the rewarding part is simply a byproduct of just following what God wants us to do. But when the motive becomes like to get that rewarding feeling, then our motive is in the wrong place. It, it's interesting this quote that he uses for what Jesus said because this idea that it is more blessed to give than receive you won't find that quote in any of the four recorded accounts of Jesus. It's not in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And so either this is something that one of the people that, that had shared some of the stories of Jesus had shared with Paul or something that Jesus himself said to Paul. I mean, one of those two things. But the context of this is super interesting because I've heard this used a lot of places. Like, it's more blessed to give and receive. And it's more, mostly in the context of material things. Like giving somebody a gift. It's better to give a gift than to receive a gift kind of a thing. But that's not the context that he's talking about here. The context of this is sharing what you've been given in your relationship with Jesus with somebody else. Like that's what's more blessed to give than it is to receive. To invest in somebody even at your own expense. Verse 36. This is so cool. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all, and they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken. That's referring to the fact that he would not see his face, they, they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. I mean, what a beautiful and moving image of the impact the Holy Spirit had on Paul and on those leaders that he had discipled. Both of them are forever changed. You see, making disciples is worth it. In fact, I would argue there's nothing more important that you can, that, that you can give your life's purpose to than to help somebody else know Jesus and follow Jesus. And the best part of this, you don't have to quit your day job. Paul didn't. Paul was a tent maker who just happened to, he was a tent maker who made disciples. And that's what Paul was. He provided for his needs by making tents. 
And then he spent the rest of the time making disciples. And you may be sitting here this morning and thinking, oh my gosh, where do I start with this? And maybe, maybe you're here this morning and you're, just, you're exploring what a relationship with Jesus is and, and, and just trying to understand what this is all about. And, and that's a great place to be, to, to continue to explore and lean into who he is and, and what he's about. And if you ever have any questions, I'd love to talk to you more about who Jesus is and what he's done and what it means to follow him with your life. It's, it, it, is, it is the best thing ever. But, but if you have made that decision to follow Jesus, like, where do you start in this process? And, and I want you to hear me in this. This is my heart. This is, like, I know the, this message this morning can be super heavy, and you can be saying, like, it could even, like, borderline on feeling, starting to feel guilt. That's not the intent of this. It's really to hopefully inspire what God has called us to and to see what, just the life that can come from this. So where do you start? First and foremost, I think the most important place to start is just talking to God about it. Just having a conversation with God and just say, hey, I'm available, I'm here. Use me as you'll use me and direct me where you want me to go. And just be willing to take whatever that next step is. You know, whatever he directs you, whoever he puts in your path, whoever he brings to your mind, start there. And then you weigh it through these questions you know, because attitude matters, you, 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 you ask yourself, how, how do you need to allow the Holy Spirit to adjust or reshape your attitude towards others? Like, how, how does the Holy Spirit need to reshape that in your life? And maybe because priority matters, you need to ask yourself, how, how do you need to intentionally take time and make this a priority in your life? Like, what in your life has to be rearranged in order to, to see this happen? And, and because content matters... The question that you need to wrestle with is, are you centered in and being changed daily by the power of the message of who Jesus is, is and what he's done? Like, is the gospel, like, shaping you? And because preparation matters, what do you need to do to become better equipped in order to be able to know what the truth is, to be able to share it with others? Like, what, what's the step that you need to take in order to better equip yourself so that you yourself are not deceived? And because motive matters, and before you even begin the process, help ask the Holy Spirit, ask God to make sure that your heart, that your why lines up with God's will and his heart. And it's motivated out of a love and care and concern for others and, and out, of, out of a desire to see others have what you have in your relationship with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for meeting us here this morning, and thank you for the example that we see in Paul. And I pray, God, that you, regardless of where everybody, anybody is in this room, Father, I pray that you would help each of us to take whatever that next step is in our relationship with you and in, the, in both the message and the mission of what you've called us to, Father. I pray that you would help us um, through this. Father, we need your help. This is not something we can do alone. This is not something we want to do alone. But, Father, we want to do it with you. And so, Father, I pray for each person right now, each of us, myself included, God, that you would help us take this step, whatever that step is, and, and wrestle with this, and, and Father, that you would make it clear to us what you want us to do next, and it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.